Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. You're going to try to tell that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? All right. Were your parents morons too? Savvy entrepreneur to the rescue! Congratulations, that really turned out well. I'm really good job. I'm really, really. You know, I wish I had thought of that. I never thought of anyone then. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Good morning, all you entrepreneurs out there. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting here on WLCB 101.5, based in the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. Now, if you're an entrepreneur or a small business person or thinking about becoming one, listen up because this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour, and I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses over the past 30 years, but I've also started or helped start at least nine different businesses myself. I have made so many mistakes over the years. I have seen many mistakes. My goal is to help people by sharing helpful information and resources. If I can help just one of you entrepreneurs out there not make some of the mistakes I've made or seen, then I've been successful. The second goal is to inspire because I found being an entrepreneur confusing and often lonely. To help with both of those goals, I have guests on the show every week who are willing to share their stories and their advice. And this week's guest is Denise Brown, who is the owner and founder of the Caregiving Years Training Academy. And she's here to tell about her journey and also just to tell us a little bit about caregiving as well as online training. So with that introduction, Denise, welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. Thanks so much for being with me today. Grateful to connect with you, Doris, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am too. What I didn't tell listeners is that Denise and I are both English major alumni from the University of Illinois. This is a great tale of two U of I English majors who have found their way and found their passions. So I think the natural place to start is, what is the Caregiving Gears Training Academy? What does it provide and and who is it designed to help? So through the Academy, I transform personal caregiving experiences. So it's for anyone who currently or previously cared for a family member, and they take that experience and turn it into a career. Their career could be working for another organization as, for instance, a certified caregiving consultant, or could be starting their own business. So what I do is I take this personal caregiving experience that individuals have gone through, I help them find the skills and insights and wisdom that they've gained. And then I couple it with my industry insights, my life coaching skills, and my marketing insights. So at the end of the training, and there's several different training programs that they can enroll in, they come out of it with an insight about their caregiving experience that they didn't have before, that it can actually enhance their career. What's so important about that is that during our personal caregiving experience, we feel like we have to give up so much. Yeah. And what the training does is 
Yeah, it shows that you can actually gain from the experience, that you have gained skills and wisdom and insights and a knowledge base that can help another. I'm guessing that's twofold, right? Just the understanding and the patience and the, you know, just the balancing and dealing with the stress. There's that whole psychological, spiritual sort of piece of it, but there's also, you know, a knowledge base. Like, how do you help make sure that that my elderly parent with dementia uh, to manage her estate or to, you know, help her with powers of attorney and make sure we get her medicines and navigate all the health insurance stuff for elder care, just as one example. And maybe there are more dimensions. Talk about that. We're talking about family caregivers, which is different than professional caregivers. So it's important to make that differentiation. Yeah. 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 So family caregivers are the only individual that touches all aspects of the healthcare system. The healthcare system is very siloed, except for the family caregiver experience. So we work with home care, home health, hospice, palliative care, hospitals, doctors, specialists. We are the only ones that do that. So our knowledge about the system is incomparable. No one else has that insight into, oh, I should have also mentioned the payer system as well as part of the healthcare system. We are the ones that touch it on all levels and understand how to work through it. We are the navigators. We are the managers. Oftentimes I see descriptions of family caregivers and what our responsibilities are. And those descriptions miss the mark because oftentimes they talk about that we cook and clean and that's maybe what we do, but really what we do. Yeah, I know it's very frustrating. Very irritating, actually. My mom is in a memory care facility and my sister has primary care for her. And we chat quite a bit when she's frustrated, she'll get into some of the, the details of what you're talking about. And I never cease to be amazed and grateful to my sister for all the battles that she fights that sometimes we never hear about, you know. Every day, every day there's some kind of battle. So what we are, in essence, as family caregivers, are CEOs of a caregiving experience. We are running small businesses. We are managing, we are organizing, we are overseeing, we are making strategies, we're creating plans, we're making the decisions. And that's who we are. We are leaders. And because of our leadership role during our family caregiving experience, it positions us to be leaders after our caregiving experience in whatever way we want to lead. So it could be leading as a volunteer, leading as a small business owner, or leading in a career that's inspired by our caregiving experience. Yeah. So are there a lot of people that want to do that? I know people who have been through it, and a lot of them are just you know, so relieved they just want to take a break and (laughs) do something way far away from that. But I'm guessing that's not everybody. Typically, I suggest you wait two years before enrolling in our consultant training, which is life coach training to help you consult with family caregivers. And it's that two-year period where you actually close out the business of caregiving. So you have to close out an estate, you have to settle the will, 
you work out the situation with your siblings, right. I hope, right to the best of our ability. But right. then you also close out the emotional impact of your caregiving experience. And that takes time. Yeah. So I think typically, if you're looking at doing this, it usually is about two years after your caregiving experience has ended. Interesting. There's, yeah, there's a grieving component to this that's particularly unusual for family caregivers. There's grief around a death. And sometimes it's grief and relief. It's a combination because you're relieved that the pain and suffering is over. But there's also a grief around the loss of your role, regardless of how you feel about a personal caregiving experience. And oftentimes we just really don't like it because it's that hard. It's that frustrating. It's that overwhelming. We still understand the meaning and the importance of that role. We get what we are doing for another. We are enhancing, improving, protecting quality of life. There's a tremendous amount of meaning that we derive from that role. And when caregiving ends, that role ends. And we have to look at our life in a different way and who we are. And there's a grief component to that as well. Yeah, especially when you're talking about elder care and taking care of someone who was your parent, right? They were the ones who took care of you for a lot of years. And that role reversal is kind of, um, you know, it's it's unsettling, I think, for a lot of reasons. It, it's unsettling because it's a reflection of time passing. We're very acutely aware now we're the generation that we always saw our parents being, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces to it. You know, is your business really focused on elder care or, uh, you know, cause I do know a number of parents who take care of special needs kids. And is this offering designed for them as well? Or is that a whole different set of challenges that, you know, that I'm just not thinking through. The training is for anyone in a caregiving situation. So it's not specific to the relationship you have with your caree or specific to a diagnosis or specific to your situation. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about why that's important. So we've had individuals who have gone through the training who have cared for parents, grandparents, spouses, children, siblings, cousins, friends. It's the gamut. So you have a personal caregiving experience, and then you take your personal experience and create your niche from it. So for instance, parent caregivers who go through the the training will then coach parent caregivers. You might have a situation where you cared for a spouse and a parent at the same time. So your niche then would be coaching those who are caring for a a parent and a spouse at the same time. Some are specific niches to a disease process, like caring for someone with dementia. If you've had that personal experience, you'd want to help family caregivers in that particular situation. So the training is for anyone in a caregiving experience or anyone interested in working and supporting with family caregivers. And it's that your specific situation then that inspires who you help after the training. Talk about your background a little bit and how you decided to create this business. So I was an English major. After graduating in 1985, I worked in trade publishing for about five years. And trade publishing means that you're working for a industry-specific magazine and writing about 
topics specific to that industry. So the trade magazines I worked on were for bakeries, if you can believe that. So they were retailers. Bakeries? Yeah, yes. Hey, I, was bakeries. Ex- yeah. I was expecting you yep. to say caregiving, uh, but nope. no, bakeries. Okay. <laughs> yes, bakeries. Yes. So I actually was an editor and I also was a writer. And so I would go into bakeries in the middle of the night, which is when they had their production time. Uh, I know I would, it well. I yeah, worked in one I, in high school. Oh my goodness. There you go. Right. Yeah. So I would go in and take photos of their process and write about how they marketed their store. And it was okay. I did learn a ton about publishing. But after a while, about five years, I thought, you know what? No one really is reading what I'm writing. And I wanted to write about something more meaningful. I was living out East at the time. So I quit my job and I thought, well, I'll just do some freelance writing. I lived about an hour from New York City. So I thought, you know what? I bet I could get some freelance writing gigs. But I wanted to have a part-time gig to have a cash flow. So I ended up finding a job managing a congregate meal site in a small town in New Jersey along the Delaware River. And at this congregate meal site, we served hot lunches at noon to seniors who lived in this community. And we also delivered meals on wheels to the homebound seniors in this Uh rural county. And it was the adult children who would call me and say, did mom come for lunch today? That really started me thinking about this experience. So I worked for an agency who ran congregate meal sites and also had a contract to manage a respite care program for this county in New Jersey. So they promoted me to manage the respite program. So I started connecting with family caregivers to help them get regular breaks. We had monies that they could use for home health aides, a short-term stay in a nursing home, and adult day centers. So I would do in-home visits to connect with family caregivers, and they were the nicest people I'd ever met. They always had a pot of tea ready to go for me when I arrived in their home, and they would always give me cookies and Danish. I mean, it was amazing. So that was like this amazing perk to this job. And they would tell me stories about their caregiving experience that were just profound. And as a writer, I couldn't get off of the stories. Yeah. The stories of caregiving include drama, mystery. Sometimes there's a little bit of a romance in there. There's family dysfunction. There's this tremendous rawness in the emotions that we feel. So as as a writer, the stories of caregiving just compelled me. Oh, I'm sure to work with I'm sure. And then I started a small business to help them because I could see that there was a a lack of support for family caregivers. So in 1995, I launched a business and I created a monthly newsletter. So I combined my insights about the personal caregiving experience with my knowledge about publishing. And I launched a monthly newsletter called Caregiving. And the first issue went out in January of 1995. And I continued to publish that for another 10 years. Wow. And then a friend told me about this newfangled thing called the internet. I thought, I want to be there. (laughs) So (laughs) over Christmas, December of 1995, over Christmas, I joined Prodigy, which was an internet service provider way back when. And they had message boards. And one of their message boards actually taught you how to launch a website, how to build a website. So I took this online course (laughs) and then I launched a very rudimentary website through Prodigy just to see who would come or people came. And then I 
secured a domain name in August of 1996, caregiving.com. And then I launched the website. And then I managed that for another 24 years. And I sold caregiving.com to Ohio's hospice in March of 2020 to really focus in on training. I had launched the training programs in 2016, and they were what I felt was the future of my business. That's where the revenue was. The so online, sold, online training courses, you mean? Absolutely. So I sold the content in the URL, and I retained the revenue. So I could focus on generating the revenue I wanted for the business and thinking about generating revenue for individuals who went through the training program. So that's the goal. The need out there is quite large and it's also multi-layered, multi-headed. I'm not sure what the right word is to say because you could certainly find people interested in a lot of different aspects of caregiving whether it's the substantive pieces of it, navigating the healthcare system. My sister went to a conference not too long ago that was an entire day talking about strategies for managing care of people with dementia and, you know, some of the latest medical findings. So how did you focus on this piece of it? So what's interesting is I used to do a national caregiving conference here in the Chicago area, and I did it for four years between 2016 and 2019. And the presenters were all family caregivers or former family caregivers, because the experts in our experience are ourselves. I had been to many conferences and meetings where it was a doctor or a lawyer telling us about what we were experiencing, but I wanted it to be a conversation with other experts like me. I started helping my parents after my dad's bladder cancer diagnosis in 2004. So I always wanted the voice of family caregivers to be front and center. So they were the bloggers on my online community, the presenters at my conference, and then the enrollees in my training program. And I see this now becoming so prevalent that family caregivers are really considered to be the expert. And the next step we wanna do is that they are the expert on the healthcare team as well. So they're not just the, oh, by the way, I'll tell you about your father's treatment options. It is, okay, let's get together and have a conversation, all of us, because you're an important part of the healthcare team to figure out what's next. So I see this movement around family caregivers as really being the healthcare member the, the team member on the healthcare team that has this vast knowledge base because of all the pieces we touch. And that's why we're invaluable. I agree with that. He, you know, my sister is the one who suggested putting my mom in hospice. And, you know, we were all like, well, does she qualify for hospice? And she's like, I think she does. And, you know, I've done all this investigation. Hospice doesn't mean what people think it means, really, or what a lot of us might think it means. So she was the one who, who pushed for it and the extra services it provides. It certainly wasn't from her doctor. It wasn't from... No. The healthcare no. facility, it wasn't no. from the hospice services. It was something she had to investigate and initiate on her own. Yes. It's really frustrating how we have to fight for services that are available to us. 
and no one tells us about. Yeah, that's just one tiny example, but yes. Let's talk about the caregiving, the business of caregiving. What are some of the most common challenges that caregivers face that you've seen? So there's challenges that came up because of the pandemic. So you might have had, well, you, if you're in a family caregiver situation, you had a disruption in services during the pandemic. And it could be that those services haven't come back or you haven't been able to access them or they're no longer available. So the direct care shortage, that the direct care workforce shortage is significant and impacts family caregivers. So maybe you had a home health aide come into the home to help with your carries personal care before the pandemic. And then maybe you thought, you know what, during the pandemic, I'm not sure if this is a safe situation for us. So you might've paused it. And then afterward, when we had vaccines and you felt like, okay, I think we can start it again. It might not have been that there was availability of a professional caregiver through yeah. the agency. Right. So we are really struggling with how do we manage the care? And I also think we have concerns about who do we trust within the healthcare system. So for me, with my parents, I just worry so much that something's going to happen and they're going to have to go to the hospital. And I worry that there's not enough staffing in the hospital to manage their care. Yeah. Well, staffing so, is definitely an issue. There's no question about that. Not only on the home health care side, but in nursing homes and long-term oh my care facilities. Yes. I mean, my sister has noticed it takes a lot of effort to make sure that my mom gets a shower regularly. I mean, just real basic stuff like that. It's a huge concern. So we might at one point have thought, you know what, we'll manage care at home. And then we'll think about a facility. But we might be in a situation where we think we're just going to manage care at home. We're not going to consider a facility because of the concerns around staffing shortages. And depending on where you live, it could be that facilities have closed, hospitals and long-term care facilities. So you might be in a situation where if there's a health crisis, it could be that you have to go to a hospital a couple hours away. And then you think, okay, if my carry is hospitalized a couple hours away, I have to be there. So then it's an interruption in your career. So you might feel like, okay, now I have to take family medical leave because I have to be available for at least a couple of weeks, if not longer, to ensure that my caree receives the care he or she needs. So there's such a dramatic impact on us. And there was an impact before the pandemic, but I would say it's dramatic now. We are so focused on impact, strategies, decisions, and plans around how do we ensure our carry remains safe and well cared for. And the services that we used to count on might not be available for us anymore. So we're figuring it out ourselves. So we have that much more pressure and stress. You know, this might be a good place to chat a little bit about some of the demographics that are involved here, not only about uh, staffing, but life expectancy. Talk a little bit about that and what you see as the future for caregiving and things that we just as a country need to kind of come to grips with. So there's a little bit of discrepancy around the number of family caregivers here in the United States. Some say 
55 million, some say 90 million. I would go closer to 90 million. And part of that discrepancy relates to a definition of family caregivers. So I shared the typical definition that organizations use, which is that we care for and help. And really the defining emotion of a family caregiver is worry. And if we were to define family caregiving as who are you worried about in terms of their health, whether it be physical or emotional or mental, then I think we're all family caregivers because we worry about someone's health. And Our own too, it, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Because so much of it falls on us. So if anything yes. happens to us, then what, you know? Yes. And if we look at the demographics around chronic illness in our country, we are really at a crisis. There are stats that say 60% of U.S. adults have, a, have one chronic illness, 40% have two chronic illnesses. And then there was a study that was released earlier this week that showed how many young people are pre-diabetic. It's something like 28% really? of kids who are aged between 12 and 19 years of age are pre-diabetic. Why, why in the world is that? That's shocking. It's shocking. And gosh, I went to a conference, I would say 20 years ago, where they said, we are really moving into a huge crisis with um, the number of individuals diagnosed with diabetes in our country. And it's lifestyle. And diet, I'm sure, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I think some people maybe hide under the covers and think, well, you know, I don't have to worry about that. Fortunately, I have great health. My parents are, have great health. And yet, given the size of the population and the problems, the health comorbidities that people talked about during COVID for Americans, that's a big challenge for everybody because those people are going to need more of the healthcare system, which eventually might mean less for me, even if I'm healthy, right? Well, I think certainly the strain we're seeing on the healthcare system right now is only going to intensify because we know that the need for healthcare services is going to increase. And I do think we have a tendency to say, you know what, everybody in my family is okay. And we want everybody in your family to be okay. Right. But we can't predict what's going to happen. And I think of one of our consultants, Emily, who was at work on a Friday before a long weekend. Her husband had taken the day off and he went swimming with friends and he dove and then had a significant spinal cord injury. Oh no! Emily got the, got the call at work. She never went back to work. Oh, and wow. her life is now caring for her husband, which she would not trade. She loves her husband. She feels grateful that he is here and that she can care for him, but it completely interrupted and disrupted her life. I am sure. So we just can't know what our next moment will bring. We want to stay healthy. It's one of the reasons that we are so focused on taking good care of ourselves. And we can't predict how our life will unfold. Right. Or those, uh, the lives of those around us who we love and care for. We were talking about some of the demographics and some of the challenges that our healthcare system overall is facing. Everything from nursing shortages to home health care to nursing home staffing issues. And we've got some demographic challenges 
even without those, right? Because the boomers, it's a pretty large generation and is aging and uh, our birth rate's been falling. So, you know, I think there's probably just some natural demographic challenges that the U.S. and, and other more mature, I guess, Western societies are, are really facing in terms of overall demographics too, right? Absolutely. So the stats show us that we probably will be caring for more than one at some point in our life. So I think about my situation. I help my parents. My sister helps my parents and supports her husband who helps his mother. So we're going to be in a intense caregiving situation at some point in our life, caring for more than one. And you could be caring for your parents while you're also raising your kids. And one of your kids might have special needs or a disability. So I think ultimately what we all struggle with during our personal caregiving experience is how do I have enough for everyone who needs me? Let's talk about your business model. You're helping the folks who have been through that kind of experience and helping them to find ways to make a career out of it or part-time work out of it. What are some of the kinds of things you've seen people do with their caregiving experience and, and turning it into a business opportunity? So graduates of our certified caregiving consultant training, which is life coaching for family caregivers, become social media influencers. They launch podcasts. They are content providers. One of our consultants provides content for AARP. They become presenters. Another consultant presented twice in November and made $4,000 presenting twice for an organization. They also coach family caregivers one-on-one. They also have group coaching practices. So they might coach a group of family caregivers. Another one of our consultants just inked a contract with her county to provide support for direct service providers, which include family caregivers in her county. So what I like about this training and what I've really focused on creating is that you turn your career into what speaks to you. So for instance, some who want to be a social media influencer, I mean, That speaks to them, but it might not speak to, for instance, the content provider, someone who wants to write. So you can turn it into whatever it is that fits your skill set, your ambitions, your goals, your purpose. And that's what I love about it. Does your program help people explore some of those options or are most of the people, they already have some idea of what they want to do and the training just helps them sharpen those ideas. So yes. (laughs) So sometimes people have a very specific idea about what they want to achieve after the training. And then sometimes people have a specific idea and then completely change it because of the training. Uh And then sometimes come out of the training and then they say, you know what, I'm just going to throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. What I like about what you said at the beginning of the program is that as entrepreneurs, we have a lonely experience. And what we've also created is a community for the graduates of our consultant training. So we meet every month to connect and share 
We do an annual virtual meeting with our consultants. Our next one is coming up in just a couple of days where the consultants actually will present tips and ideas and marketing opportunities to the other consultants. So we support each other. We encourage each other. We want each other to be successful because when one is successful, all are successful. So, so just to be clear, when you say consultants or our consultants, you're talking about graduates of one of your programs? It's the Certified Caregiving Consultant Training Program, and that teaches former and current family caregivers how to become a life coach to serve other family caregivers. So the skills that I teach are skills that you can use one-on-one coaching, group coaching, but they're also helpful on social media, when you facilitate support groups, when you're writing about caregiving. So the skills are transferable that you learn in the training program. And then you decide how you want to use the skills. And it's not just skills, but it's insights about the personal caregiving experience. Maybe it's helpful to talk a little bit about programs that you offer and how each of them work in terms of what the core of each looks like. And because I know you from your website, you've got different options. So talk a little bit about you know, what those programs look like and if if people might be interested, what they could expect. Again, I think of a family caregiver as leading a small business. Their personal caregiving experience is really what it's like to manage a small business. And their small business is around managing the care of a family member. So as a small business owner, I like to have a coach and I also like to have a virtual assistant. So we have two training options that provide those services to a family caregiver. So the Certified Caregiving Consultant Training provides life coaching training so that you, a family caregiver could hire a coach or a consultant to help with stress management, decisions, strategies, plans. And then you want someone else to help you with organizing, scheduling, just managing the tasks. And that's a certified caregiving specialist. So a family caregiver could have a team that supports him or her, which includes a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving specialist. You also could take a facilitator training if you want to offer support groups. And then there also is a grief facilitator support group training if you want to offer grief support groups for those who are in an after caregiving situation. What's the, I guess, the delivery model for each of those offerings? Are they online courses? Are they weekly Zoom meetings? Are they hourly consulting? I mean, I'm just trying to understand what each of those look like in terms of a business model. So it's a combination of recorded modules and live training. So depending on which training program you pick, you might have a more intense training experience like the consultant training typically it takes a couple months to go through that training you have nine archived modules that you go through and then you join me for eight hours of live training where you practice the skills that you learned in the archive training did you create all these modules yourself yep wow how long did it take you to do that (laughs) okay so so it's a it's been an evolution so i I staged the caregiving experience in 1997 and have updated that concept over the past 20 some years. So there's six stages 
to a personal caregiving experience. So when I first developed the consultant training, I developed a module for each of the stages. So we take a deep dive into the personal caregiving experience. And then I wove in skills I had learned as a life coach. So there always were nine modules, but what I've done is enhanced and increased the material in each of the modules. So at the end of the consultant training, I want you to have an insight about the personal caregiving experience that's more than just knowledge of your experience. I want you to step back and say, oh my gosh, I get the themes of this experience. And I also want you to have planning sessions that you can lead a family caregiver through. So you receive tools, you receive techniques, you receive a really effective communication strategy, and then you have this insight, this broader understanding of the personal caregiving experience through the consultant training. Hmm. Wow, so it's multi-layered and it's the fruit of a lot of years of personal experience, not just your own, but of all of the people who have come through your various programs and that you've interacted with over the years, which Absolutely. I'm sure a real wealth of people. And right. So it's, yeah. So it's paying attention to what do the students need in order to be successful after graduating. And then it also was a learning experience around pricing. How do I price this? Oh, I'm sure. That was very helpful for me, I guess. <laughs> Well, I, you say helpful. How did you sort through that? That's kind of a key question for a lot of people who offer online training and coaching or services businesses in general, right? So when I first launched the program, I had a marketing campaign in the fall of 2015. And I thought, gosh, this is such a great program. I want all family caregivers who are interested in this to be able to enroll in this program. So I priced it at 400 bucks. And then I had scholarships. And what I learned, and you'll know this, Doris. I don't that... know. I was going to say that sounds like a bargain, <laughs> but I don't know. Right. I know it was because people equated the value of the program with how much time they put in the, to the program. So because it felt, oh, this is so affordable, they didn't actually invest the time what? into making the yes. Oh my really God, we human beings are funny people, aren't, aren't we? Aren't we? Yes. So the program got better the more I raised the pricing. And it got better also because <laughs> I really I know. Love it. Yeah. And because I also really wanted to deliver the value that I priced it at. So I wanted you to graduate from the program with tools and and planning sessions that you could sell so that you left the program with an ability to make money. Interesting. Well, you know, I'm curious about you and your journey through all of this. It's quite a leap when you think about it. You make it sound very casual, but it's quite a leap to go from writing for trade publications to... I'm going to start this business, this online business. What do you think it was about your makeup and your situation that allowed you to make that pivot? I, I don't know if it really was that easy or not, but you make it sound easy. Oh, it was torture at times. Absolutely torture. And I think what kept me going 
was my experience in my creative writing classes at U of I. I never could think of anything to write about. I never <laughs> had anything to write about. So I loved to write, but I couldn't think of anything to write about. And then when I connected with family caregivers, I couldn't stop writing. Uh, so because I found this subject matter that I was passionate about, it kept, it kept me going. Interesting. So you're, you're a person who can use the pencil and the keyboard, but you need to speak from the heart. Yes, it has to be. I have this thing about time. I don't like to waste time. And if I'm not writing about something that is meaningful, it is a waste of my time, which is why I had that. I need to change careers. I need to find something that's meaningful that I can write about. And caregiving has always provided that meaning to me. And yeah. you know what's interesting? I connected with a freelance writer a few years ago who was writing about caregiving. And she said to me, how do you keep writing about this for all these years? Right. Thought, how do you not keep writing yeah. about this? Yeah. It's just such a nuanced experience. And every caregiving experience is different. Everyone has different challenges. Everyone has different availability of resources. Everyone has something that's unique about their experience. So connecting with family caregivers never gets tiresome to me because everybody has a different story to tell. So I'd like to collect these stories. Yeah. Well, and it sounds to me like for you personally, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like for you personally, when you find something that speaks to you from the depths of your heart, it's almost like, I don't want to say it's not work, but it's almost like you need to find that. You need to be connected to that in order for you to produce the best work, be the best you you can be. Is that, do you think that's fair? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I've had a number of other entrepreneurs on the show, many of whom say, you need to follow your passion. There are people out there who can say, well, I'd like to build this widget and I'll build this widget and I'll grow the production of this widget and then I'm going to spin it off. There are people who are like that. They're very methodical about it. But frankly, the majority of entrepreneurs who are out there are like, you know, find what you're truly passionate about because if you're not, there's just so many obstacles along the way that you you know you you may find yourself thrown off the path if you're not just so passionate about it that you're just going to find a way to work does that describe you do you think yes and i also think when you are passionate about something you're creating you find inspiration from those who use what you're creating ah so I think the, the passion connects you to your market in a way that drives you to serve them. And I think if you're not driven to serve your market, you're missing a piece of the passion. And I will also say that what I find is that you have to stay connected to your market. And many, many organizations that I've seen come and go in my space go because they didn't think it was important to stay connected to family caregivers. They had this idea that maybe they had a personal experience and that meant they knew enough. You have to stay connected to your market. You have to listen to them. 
You have to look to them as the experts. So the other piece of this that I teach in the consultant training is that family caregivers are our clients and our teachers. We are always learning from them. And if you're not connected to that experience of learning from your market, you are missing a piece of your success. What are some of the best ways people have used or that maybe you suggest they try in order to stay connected to that community? It's so easy now because of of social media. It's so easy. Join Facebook support groups, for instance, around your subject matter interest. Follow conversations on Twitter. Connect to others on LinkedIn. It is so easy to stay a part of the conversation. As you've built this business, what have been some of the biggest challenges for you? Where to start? (laughs) Uh, I would say. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, well, I've worked out all the bugs in the past 20 years, so there really haven't been many. Oh, gosh, there's always a new bug. There's always a new bug. You know, something that I have regularly encountered that I have not figured out how to overcome is, and I want to say this in a way that is kind, and I I think what it is, is there's a lack of collaboration. I guess oftentimes you encounter too many egos in the space and the egos won't work together. So you find yourself then in this crowded space, trying to work your way through the noise. And that can be frustrating. I'm surprised, you know, I mean, to me, caregiving is one of the most humbling experiences you will ever go through. Uh, Wow, it's some of the, you know, most painful base kinds of things that you deal with. So I'm surprised there are egos, uh, but I, I guess there are egos everywhere. And if you think about what it's like to start a small business, you are taking huge risks and you're putting yourself out in a vulnerable way. And you might come from a place of there's not enough here in this space. So I need to protect what it is that I have. And I have to look at everybody as a threat. So then you you have a different perspective. The zero sum game approach, huh? Yes, yes. My gain is your loss and your loss is my gain. Yes. As opposed to we can all be better and grow. Yes. That's unfortunate. That's probably human nature everywhere, right? Absolutely. It's not just in this space. It's common to other spaces. And I've yet to connect with someone who has figured out how to work through this. And I think what the challenge for us as individuals then is to feel completely burnt out from how much of a fight it is to rise above the noise. And I think that's why you need to stay connected to your market, to who you're serving, because they are not noise. They are insights. They are your inspiration. They're going to give you some nugget of wisdom that's going to help your business. And and if you do that, you are going to separate yourself from the competition. Yeah. Obviously, some of us have bigger insecurities than others. And I wonder if for some people, the caregiving experience strikes fear in those people's hearts. And 
touches on and maybe amplifies those insecurities. Um, for some people, it's probably very humbling. For others, it, it may just touch off a lot of fear and amplify those insecurities. Well, I, I think it's just important to know we're talking about entrepreneurs right now and other organizations within the space that are businesses. Ah, okay. And, yeah, and as business owners within a space, you might be moving from ego, trying to protect your space in the industry and then perceive other organizations and other businesses as a threat. And that's gotcha. why it's so important to stay connected to your market, stay engaged with a conversation of who you're serving because that moves you away from the egos in the space. Uh, you want to stay connected to the meaning. So how do most of your customers find you or I guess, do you find them? So I try to have lots of opportunities for people to connect with me. So I'm active on social media. I'm engaged in conversations with family caregivers and I do regular events. So people can experience me as a host of an event, as a presenter within an event. And they do find me through my website too. So I started from scratch after I sold my online community and I learned SEO when I built my website. So I used what I learned when I built my second one and people will come to the website and they'll take different assessments. And then the assessment is the lead generator to have a one-on-one -on -one phone call with me. Ah. I also have a community on Mighty Networks, which is awesome. So they can connect with me through that community. I try to be open to the connection. I try to be engaged in relationships because ultimately what I find is it's word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And the consultants who have gone through the training, for instance, will refer individuals that they know to the training program as well. So I have an affiliate program uh, yeah. for them too. Yeah, I can see where word of mouth would be very helpful. So looking back, what, if anything, would you have done differently? I would have avoided panicking. I think it's so hard for us not to panic when we don't have enough resources, money, time, manpower. And I didn't get how the panic wasn't helping until afterward. And I thought, gosh, if I had just stayed calm and given myself a little more time, I probably would have made a different decision, but you often feel like, oh my gosh, I don't have time. I've got to just make a decision, but a decision during a panic time, I don't think it's ever really a, a good decision. And I guess I, I would have given myself more chances. Per permission maybe to just chill out and take time to, to think through things. Yeah, and I also think to reflect more on my successes. So oftentimes we just focus on this isn't going well and instead step back and say, okay, this piece isn't going well, but these pieces are. Yeah. So oftentimes I would take one piece of failure and just let it overshadow the other pieces of success. And I think it would have been helpful for me if I hadn't panicked by what felt like a failure and instead thought, okay, that didn't work, but here's what's going okay. I can figure this out. Yeah. So the ability to step back and move away from the urgent to focus on what's important and, you know, always keep the big picture in mind. Is that, is that fair? And be open to the idea that getting another job 
it's sometimes the best thing you can do for your business. Hmm, that's interesting. Talk about that a little bit. Cash flow is important. And even if it's cash flow from another job, it helps your business because it takes the stress and strain off of you to bring in cash flow. Right. I think right. entrepreneurs right. look at another job as a failure when in essence, another job often could be just exactly what you need for your business to continue. A bridge. Yes. Yeah. A good bridge. Yeah. Interesting observation. Well, where do you see your business growing? What will the caregiving years training Academy look like in say two or three years if you're successful growing it? So I would say within the next five years, I will have trainers. So I will not be the one who's training. I'll have trainers and then I'll be more focused on a nonprofit I launched, which probably will be where I spend my retirement years really working on advocacy efforts to improve the personal caregiving experience, raising money to help family caregivers. So I see both pieces, the for-profit and nonprofit in my future, but I see myself really looking at the for-profit as run by others so that I have time for the nonprofit. Good for you. That sounds like a wonderful goal. Well, before I let you go, uh, Denise, let people know how they can learn more about your programs or sign up for your services and how to reach you if they'd like more information. Yeah, just please go to my website and it is careyearsacademy.com. So it's three words, careyearsacademy.com. Denise, thank you so much for being with me today. It was really a delight having you on the show. Thank you so much, Doris. I just loved the conversation. Me too. So thanks again to my special guest, Denise Brown, the owner and founder of the Caregiving Years Training Academy. And thank you as well to all of my listeners. You're the reason I do this. You can find more helpful information and resources on my website, globalocityservices.com. That's my consulting website. There's a library there of free blogs, tools, podcasts, and other resources. But you'll also find more and more content on my new radio show website that's focused just on the show, thesavvyentrepreneur.org. My door is always open for questions, comments, suggestions, or just to shoot the breeze. You can email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at thesavvyentrepreneur.org. Be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.